0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucksters? What the the bulls, What the fuckadelics? It is me, Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. I feel like I'm not talking properly because I bit my fucking lip, and then I bit it again in the exact same place, and then I wanted to punch myself in the face. It's fucking bullshit. God damn, man. Hey, did you know that, uh, I don't know if you guys are on the premium app or not. Oh, by the way my guest today is patrick stickles some of you might not know who he is he's in a band his band titus andronicus and uh they kick ass i'm not even sure how i got onto them i don't know i think i think i got a record in the mail some vinyl i'm like what is this man who are these guys what the hell is this it was called the monitor and I put it on and I couldn't I couldn't quite grasp it. So I, I put it aside. It's not that it's complicated music. There was just a lot of momentum in it. And it's a, it's a concept album in a way. It's a, it's a double record. And it's got this anthemic drive to it. And I'm like, what is this? But I didn't lock in. Fucking rock and roll, man. I'd, I'd been listening to a lot of records, uh, obviously. Titus Andronicus. I had no idea. How the hell do you keep up? I can't keep up. I, there's a lot of bands that I, I have no idea what's happening. No idea. So here's the thing about Stickles. I became sort of, uh, with Patrick Stickles, the guest today, I became a little obsessed with this guy in a healthy way. I didn't know who, I didn't know who he was, and I listened to Titus Andronicus, and here's the deal. What kind of music resonates with you? What what grabs you? I mean, sometimes it can be instrumentation. Sometimes it can be composition. Sometimes it can be a hook in a song. Sometimes it can be the production. But for me, most of the time, especially with rock, it's, does this dude mean it? Does this, does this guy mean it? And I put on Titus Andronicus, The Monitor, this double album, a weird-ass cover, had no idea there's there's a weird momentum to it there's some spoken word parts to it that are sort of interesting you know quoting uh, Abraham Lincoln and I don't know man but the rock itself, the music itself is simple basically punk rock riffs and just you know just rock and roll drive and I heard this guy singing and I was listening to his words and I'm like holy fuck this guy means business this guy's heart is a hundred percent in this and it's not flash. He's not trying to impress anybody. He's got something inside of him. He has to get it out. And when you hear rock music, that can only happen... There's a certain age range where that happens. I mean, people get older and then they they get more self-conscious and they get more uh, calculating and they're after something. But you know, Patrick's a young dude and you can hear it in the songs and they're just thrilled to play Titus Andronicus and the goddamn just... The songs have build. They have momentum. They just they have anthemic sort of drive shafts, and it's just raw energy this dude has. And his and his words are are jarring and passionate. And it just started to make me think back. Do you remember the first time you ever had that experience when you go to a rock show and you're like, "What is going on here?" There's an energy in the room. There's sweat. You know, usually everyone's at the same level. The band's basically at floor level perhaps you're in a basement for me it was like i used to go see bands at the rat scale i remember seeing steve albini at the rat in boston uh you know way when was that somewhere in the mid 80s i was not a huge uh live music dude but there was a few uh, there was a few concerts i saw back in boston like fire hose that was mind-blowing but even further back than that i remember after college I decided I'm going to take a train cross country. So I got a sleeper car and went from New York to Chicago. Now, a sleeper car and a train, generally, if you get the lower level sleeper cars, you're basically sleeping in a bathroom. You're, you're sleeping where you poop. And that's the, that's, it's romantic, right? So it's just me on this train. I bought a bunch of books, bought a bunch of liquor, and I was just going to be like, yeah, hey, I'm going to live it, man. I'm going to be a hobo in a sleeping car. With my, uh, with my books. I remember I had Blue Movie by Terry Southern. I had Lesson Zero by uh, Brett Easton Ellis. But I was going to do a lot of big reading. I was going to do a lot of big drinking. And I was going to sleep in my sleeper car on the train, you know? Just like, you know, rough it. Got to Chicago, went to Union Station. That's all I saw of Chicago at that time. Got my shoes shined. Then I took the train from Chicago down to Memphis. I I danced with a girl at a club in Memphis and we were the only two people in the room. Then uh, she drove me in this large Cadillac El Dorado to my hotel and she came up to my hotel room and stole my uh, Graceland comb and uh, and took some money. I didn't do anything with her. She seemed to be in trouble of some kind. So I figure if that's all you need is like $3 and an Elvis comb, I hope that helps out. And you know, I hope whoever owns that El Dorado is not going to be mad that You didn't come back with more money than that. But that never even came up. So then i go from Memphis to Austin, Texas. And then I had about enough of the train. I saw some band in Austin, Texas. I don't know who they were. I don't know what what, what state of mind it was in. I was blasted and tired. Because you can't sleep in a sweeper car, really. I wanted to go home already and this band was just it was a club it was it was half filled it was just sweaty and it was everything was at the same level and this i in my recollection it was four people in the band and they were just pounding out some fucking punk rock version of Rosa San Antone and i thought it was spectacular and it had this this quality to it where it was just so raw and so you know almost aggravated and angry and it was this classic old song. And it was just one of those rock and roll moments. It was, I saw the Meat Puppets at Slim's in uh, in San Francisco once. It's the same thing, man. Where you just... It's just mind-blowing. It's like the real spirit of rock, man. It's just like raw and it's right there. And you can feel it. That only comes... I mean, you can only do that in your 20s. I, I, you know, and I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not knocking you rockers are you know pounding it out in your 40s because certainly you know i do my share here at the house but when i heard titus andronicus i was like this guy means business and then i bought their other two records and i was like holy fuck this is the real thing like it's not and it's not about the music it's about the drive it's about the passion I think that's the thing. I'm 50 and and I think that somehow I still have that, but I, I don't know if I have the courage to put it out into the world because at 50 you should have you know, a, a few things reeled in. Maybe I have too much reeled in. Maybe I, maybe I have to just bust out. Yeah, maybe I just got to hit the streets with the guitar and just pound it out. But I'm 50. Hey, man, live the dream. Don't let that stifle you. My buddy Tom Sharpling is into him. I I check him out with Sharpling. I'm like, what do you know about this Titus Andronicus? What do you know about this Stickles character? He says, yeah, they're good. And I'm like, they seem to mean it, Tom. He's like, yeah, they do mean it. They're from New Jersey. Tom's from Jersey. I was born in New Jersey. Maybe it's a Jersey thing. I don't know. I don't know. I like Bruce Springsteen. Don't love him. I get it. You know, occasionally I listen to it. So I start, you know, pestering this dude on Twitter Patrick Stickles and he finally gets you know back in touch with me but I, I just heard that like he's he's just this out there dude like he's he's got an edge to him you know so now I'm nervous and he says I'm going to be out in LA we, he gives me his phone number and he's playing down the street from me he showed up he uh he, he's smoking cigarettes you know and he's going on you know he's got he's got things on his mind you'll hear this you'll hear this when I talk to him you know, he, he, it, was, it wasn't so much it was hard to get a word in edgewise, but, you know, he was working a lot of angles in his head. He was going. His brain was running. And, you know, a lot of it was things I could relate to. Some of it I could relate to more when I was younger, but I certainly locked into where he was coming from. But then it just started to take a turn. There was some momentum happening in what he was talking about. And then sort of like about two-thirds through the interview, you know, it just goes to this other level. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything, and it's not like there's a big spoiler to be had. But there was definitely something relatable in a very punk rock way, in a very rock and roll way. But then it just sort of took a, a sort of sensitive twist about two thirds of the way through, and it went. It just went a whole level deeper. It was one of those things where you talk to a creative mind, when you talk to a creative spirit that is full of struggle and and a bit of chaos, and and just angrily trying to make sense. Of, of their world and and the world and and the uh, the sort of conflict between the two and you just you just feel their heart and their mind just fucking work in this goddamn equation. And I love that. I guess that's why he resonated with me and I really grew to like him. Uh, this Patrick Stickles character and I went to see them up the street uh, at the uh, Eagle Rock uh, Community Center and there I was. There I was, you know, this—I'm a 50-year-old guy surrounded by sweaty 20-year-olds. People don't move as much as they used to, and then Stickles comes out with his band, and it's just straight up. And you know, he's got a way of being on stage. He's very earnest. He just plants himself up there, and he fucking lays it out. And I—there I was, bouncing my head, sweating. So let's uh, let's go now and talk to uh, to Patrick Stickles of Titus Andronicus. I'm not sure, like, how I got hold of your music. Uh, I think that, which label are you on, Beggars? You're on Beggars? Well, Beggars is the larger uh, conglomerate, but right. we're on XL. Right. Extra large recording. So they sent me this album, and then I listen to the albums, and I'm like, holy fuck, this guy means business. Who the fuck are these guys? They fucking mean it do you mean it whatever it is yeah exactly whatever it is you mean it and like uh, out of all the records i've had lately and even on the you know the mp3 i fucking listen to uh the, the monitor and uh local business you know repeatedly so you've done some good work i'm an old man that's not easy well thank you <laughs> and you're from new jersey that's right i grew up uh my parents are both from jersey i was born in new jersey what part of new jersey i'm from the top the northernmost part the suburbs of new york city yeah my uh my father's from jersey city my mother's from pompton lakes Mm. pompton lakes is pretty close to where i'm from glen
1: rock new jersey willowbrook mall paramus park willowbrook mall that's right that was the one that was open on sundays yeah blue laws in paramus new jersey kept the the closer malls you know closed on sundays yeah Mm -hmm. And we had to go to Willowbrook to consume, to consume in the way we would like to on Sunday. Yeah.
0: Did you hang out at the mall? Were you a mall rat? Sure. You had to, right? The mall, you know,
1: is just kind of a a, a safe and and sort of blank space. Yeah.
0: You can just go there and know <laughs> that your time will be occupied in some yeah some way. There was some social dynamic going on with other youngsters wandering around the mall. Mm-hmm dispersed amongst the regular population yeah yeah microcosm of the
1: larger society I yeah
0: guess. a lesson to be learned of the uh, banality of the future that is upon us yeah the sterilization of and the homogenization of it all right <laughs> yeah so when did you start doing the guitar i guess
1: i was uh i got um my first guitar for my 13th birthday and i had been playing a little bit, yeah. truly playing, not working, but right. playing with my brothers. My older brother had a guitar that he abandoned when he went off to, you know, to further his education outside the house. And I played that for six months or so and learned uh, "Smoke on the Water" and "Blister in the Sun" <laughs> on the one string that remained from <laughs> when he had it. <laughs> and then, you know, for my thirteenth birthday, I got a real guitar that had all six strings on it.
0: Yeah, and then which was the first song that you mastered, "Blister in the Sun" or "Smoke on the Water"? Um, "Smoke on the Water" was first, and right. "Blister
1: in the Sun." I actually thought that I had composed. <laughs> I figured out how to play it and didn't, and was like, "Oh wow, what a what a <laughs> moment of inspiration!" And I played it for my sister, like, "Check this out." Yeah, and she was like, "I know what that is." <laughs> you had no idea. It was the it was the beginning of a long career. A long yeah. and lucrative career in taking something, stumbling upon something that I had misremembered and, and claiming to have invented it. Sure, man. Riffs rock are riffs, and, right? Rock and roll, right? That's it. That's Keith it. Richards did it. and Sure, everybody does it. Sure, they do. You listen in Exile today? That's right. My new Polish import CD. Is there a difference other than the cover? There's three bonus tracks from a yeah. live show in 1973. Yeah. Yeah. A much faster version of Rocks Off and a much slower version of uh, Tumbling Dice. Right. Yeah, so some different cool perspectives on that one. Are you a Stones guy in general? No, oh, I love them very much, but I only just got into them pretty recently. You know, Growing up, I kind of lumped them in with a lot of, you know... Old you know, guy they bands? Not old guy bands, but, like, hair bands, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I didn't see much of a difference between uh, the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or, like, modely crew oh, really? you know, just a lot of like phallocentric like right you know look at me like yeah i'm such a great guy yeah sort of rock and i didn't really appreciate um you know what separated
0: the rolling stones from that stuff to my you know to my discredit that was a mistake on my part well, sometimes it takes years to come around to what are you gonna do i mean i didn't get you know i didn't understand why the doors were important until i was in my 30s well, I look forward to that moment because I'm definitely not <laughs> not there yet. <laughs> I, I didn't say that I like them, but you understand.
1: Yeah, I understand why Led Zeppelin's important, but I don't know that I'm ever gonna never be gonna, a fan of theirs. Never gonna come around. Things that aren't are important, like aren't always good. Right. Yeah. The development of a uh, corporate personhood was important, but not good. It was
0: important to corporate. Structure. Yeah, it was important to somebody. Yeah, yeah, sure. It was important to the, the people that, uh, you know, want to protect their corporation over the rights of people. It's relevant to, you know, the, the contemporary concerns of society, even if they're not in line with my particular values. Exactly. It's but, on the radar. You got to reckon with it. Don't mm-hmm. got to like it. It's true. Right. In
1: a way, though, I'm grateful for my younger ignorance because... Uh, you know now i'm a little more of an adult i'm in a little more of a position to appreciate the rolling stones and now it's like you know being open to a a new world you know like uh, sometimes you get pushed into a new world when you're not quite ready for it you know yeah like yeah. sometimes i wish i could have you know you know put off going to university or something until i was a little older where'd but you go then, i went to a very obscure an oft overlooked uh, public, public liberal arts college in New Jersey. Called Ramapo College. Ramapo in Mawa. In Mawa. It was named the second fattest small school by Men's Health Magazine <laughs> in my sophomore year.
0: Did you go for the full ride? Did I get a full ride? No, I paid for it. I was No, a- not a free ride, a full ride. Did you go
1: for all four years? Oh, a full ride? Yeah,
0: I mean did you do Yeah, it?
1: yeah, I I graduated. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was the outstanding student in my department my graduating class which department
0: literature so that's where you know the interest like, that's where the uh the focus comes from huh i was wondering that it's the, a, it's
1: it's it's another symptom of a, an ongoing focus i yeah. suppose
0: but i mean i was a english major and i i don't know that i you know even registered as much as you did i mean just by the tracks on the albums and the sort of uh the, the context of the Monitor and stuff, and even Titus Andronicus. I can't even wrap my brain around Shakespeare, really. It must have had some impact on you.
1: Um, sure. You know, I used to study him a lot when I was younger. And, you know, uh, he, you know, gets taught in school a lot. So, you know, it was uh, kind of hard to avoid. Yeah. And it was just a kind of thing you just get you're beaten over the head with so many times. It's kind of a little bit Stockholm Syndrome with me and Shakespeare, I guess. Yeah. But, I, I mean, a big part of it is that a um, very influential person in my early life was uh, um, the fellow who taught drama at the high school that uh-huh. I went to. And he appears on our records. He's the voice of Abraham Lincoln on that one on the an monitor, and he reads from Albert Camus on our first album.
0: That's that voice that's sort of like back here, and you yeah. can talk like this. That's it, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's Oki Chenoweth. He was a, uh, who was um, drama teacher at Glen rock High School for like forty years or so, and since retired. But uh, he taught me a lot about art. You know, being an artist, and his big thing was you know truthfulness. He would try and get us, you know, to to stand up in class and just say the truth, whatever it was, and make him believe that uh, we were telling the truth, Uh whatever we were saying. Uh And his other big thing was when he didn't like something, he would tell us to raise the stakes. You know, he he wanted everything to be life or death situation, even if it was like two characters trying to decide, you know what they were gonna eat for lunch. He wanted it to be a life or death situation. <laughs> so that influenced my outlook a lot. So he and blew his, your mind. Yeah, yeah. He, he did, really. And he he would put Shakespeare on every year and that was like the big thing that the drama club did. And you know, my sophomore year we did uh, Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And it was just a very, very important uh, formative experience for me. And also he did another production of Hamlet in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, more contemporaneous to my brother's high school career, and the guy who played Hamlet nowadays is the guy in the Chase Bank Freedom Card commercial. You know, the guy who sings Footloose yeah. about the the Freedom Card. That's Mike Torpy. He played Hamlet at Glenmark High School, and I saw it. So when you were in, like, when and he, he does, he does yeah. that guy does other stuff. Of course, he's there, of course, he's a very, very talented man and a great singer. Yeah. Uh huh. And he actually I starred opposite my brother's wife, in Oklahoma, in which I saw and did not fall asleep at, unlike Hamlet. <laughs> you couldn't get through Hamlet. I mean, I was just a little kid. It's pretty long. Like the sentences are like, pretty weird, long sentences with a bunch of strange words. It was like nine p.m. Yeah. You know. Were you doing...
0: in Hamlet though? The production that I did? I was.
1: Yeah, I played uh, Hamlet's father, the ghost.
0: Did you get the story?
1: Sure I did. You know, uh, alienated young man, feels put upon by the world, can't decide whether or not he wants to strike back against the world that's so inconsiderate of his precious little feelings. Yeah.
0: I, I relate to it very much. Yeah. Why would you call the band Titus Andronicus? What did that mean? What was the meaning uh, for, of that play for you? Um, well, at first, at the time when we you know decided yeah.
1: to name the band that it didn't mean anything beyond that it was you know an appealing combination of syllables and you know sounded like the person who decided to name the band that like must be pretty smart yeah like all this <laughs>
0: stuff that we did was just to like make everybody say oh this guy's pretty smart and, including the titles on of the <laughs> songs on the first record of course <laughs> you yeah. know yeah sure it's
1: man. all it is all just a uh, a ruse I mean, it was. Was it a ruse? I think it was It was pretty much, you know, straight up, you know, kissing my own
0: ass about how many books I read kind of vibe. But they they must have had some impact on you. I mean- Sure,
1: sure they did. I mean, Just but and, like,
0: was it relative? Because, I mean, it seems like, you know, you, you're an open-minded dude looking to get your mind blown. I mean, to have an experience with a, a high school teacher, there's always one if you're lucky that can turn the fucking course of your life around and, and not, you know, you know kind of save you from the sentence of of just sort of a mundane future mm. that you just buy without questioning. Oh, my God, buying the mundane
1: future without questioning is the whole story of my youth. Yeah? You know, the well, c- New Jersey's a rough one, huh? It is, you know, and it's very much, uh, you know, your whole life is laid out before you, even before you're, you know, conceived. And there was a whole plan for me. What was know, it? I mean, I did most, I did a lot of it, which was, you know, grow up in this little town and, you know, pretty much, you know, you're at the bowling alley with the bumpers up in this town, you know, and you can get in trouble, like you can get in trouble for like drinking a beer or something or like staying out too late, but at the end of the day, like nothing is going to happen to you that's really going to derail your life, that's really going to get in the way of the plan, like you only have so much power to...
0: Fuck up. really hurt yourself to get in your own way yeah, yeah. you know why and, just because of the small townness of it like everybody knows each other it's like hey your yeah, kid was causing trouble again in the parking lot of the place exactly constant yeah. surveillance you know police state <laughs> police state, and it's not even town. a
1: police state because like everybody is the police yeah. you know like they all you know they all think of themselves as you know they're all just part of the sea of of judging disembodied eyes yeah you know?
0: what what was your what was your family's racket what did your old man do um well you know when my
1: parents first fell in love they were educators yeah um and my um uh, my father was like it was on you know had a, a promising career early on as like an administrator he was like a vice principal or something and might have been principal one day, but he decided to become a lawyer instead. Mm. Who can really say why? Something about, um, you know, trying to provide more opportunities for me and my brother and sister, I guess. Yeah. But eventually, you know, once we were all taken care of, he was able to retire from the law, and now he got to be a high school principal after all. And as a matter of fact, he's the principal of the high school from which he graduated. In New Jersey. In New Jersey, in Roselle. And they're still together? Oh, no. My parents have been divorced for more than 20 years. But my father is married to a uh, wonderful woman named Vicky, who's very, very close to my heart. And my mother, you know, she's got a very nice uh, gentleman friend named Art, who's a lovely fella as well, and has got
0: some cool exotic birds and some cool uh, classic cars that he likes. (laughs) Isn't it weird? My mom's got a dude, too, and my dad's with some woman now. Like, you know, you grow up with these people for a little while, and then all of a sudden they go into this other phase of their life, and you're like, oh, that's the that's the guy, huh?
1: Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's almost like they <laughs> yeah. didn't, you know. It's almost like they had a life before me mm-hmm. and have some intention of a life Beyond me, it's bizarre. Yeah, they're my parents. It yeah, should be they, all about me. It's they should be. They are an object <laughs> for my for my desire. Exactly. You know, they're not meant to be autonomous agents in yeah. their own right. with Come needs on. of their own. That's crazy. Outages. You, you cash that those
0: chips in a long time ago, mom and dad. Yeah, my mom goes out with this dude who's like a jazz head. Like he never stops moving. He never stops talking. He's always got jazz playing in the house, and like I never. I know a little bit about jazz, but it's weird when some dude grew up with it and it's his thing.
1: I mean, it's just another academic, uh, you know, basically dead art form like rock and roll that used to be the dominant youth culture. And now it's something that people need to be, you know, blowing on the on the embers all the time. Otherwise, it's not going to exist anymore. But, but do you feel that way about what you're doing? Most Most certainly, I do. <laughs> oh, I on. do, you know. <laughs> Like, when not- a guy like Keith Richards was young, you know, the guitar was the answer to everything, you know, and you could, if you were able to write the perfect rock and roll song, like, there might be a million dollar paycheck at the other end of it. No guarantees of that, obviously, but like, right. there was the thought, like, there was, that was a plan that was not completely beyond the realm of possibility for a lot of people. Right, and it's just not that way anymore, and that's why rock and roll sucks now because it's it's been de incentivized right, you know it used to be that there were you know millions of kids all across the world all all competing to write the perfect rock and roll song, yeah, and you know as a result, we were blessed with you know the fruits of their labors not all of them got the million dollar paycheck, but because that carrot was dangling in front of everybody lots of people made attempts at it and you know we got all this we got this whole great body of work and now it's like if you if you you know are dissatisfied with your lot in life the mm-hmm. life that you were born into and you want a way out like you don't pick up a guitar anymore you get a computer mm-hmm. and you don't really think about writing the perfect rock and roll song you find the perfect version of you know party, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, that's fine and everything for the kids. Like, I might think it's pretty stupid, but, like, the people, you know, everybody thought rock and roll was quite stupid. But it had some menace to it. It did. It was different. It was a threat. It was. And maybe it's good, actually, that rock and roll is not the dominant youth culture anymore because, you know, when it became... You know, like, you know, when it became like the air and everybody, like rock and roll was just the thing that everybody was into, you know, I guess maybe it kind of lost its ability to be rebellious a little bit, you know, and a loud, distorted guitar became, you know, just another you know, part of the, the oral wallpaper of our life, you know, but now people, now it's getting to the point where like people aren't confronted with that yeah. every day and people right. maybe will start to forget the the power of that. Yeah. And in their forgetting, you know, it will, the power will return, you know, now because it's it, surprising again. It's, yeah. Because it, it is once again, a real alternative. It's
0: a real counterculture. Well, that's, like, I mean, I think what you're describing, if I, I don't want to yeah, interrupt you because you're on a riff, but I mean, you know. That was my reaction to to your albums because you know I'm like you know I'm a 49 year old dude I've listened to a lot of shit I miss most of the good shit just like you did I got it you know second I did hand. Miss it. yeah but you know I I felt the fucking earnestness in there that there was a build and there was a you know there was a passion there were you know the you know the sort of runs were like you know just good fucking you know raw rock and roll runs and like I said I listened to it over and over again because. It, it, like that Fugazi album I was playing when I walked in. Like you said about the Stones, I mean, I just listened to Fugazi for the first time last week, dude, last week. Wow. So like, as a 49-year-old dude, I put on repeater, first time in my life, and I was like, holy fuck, this is great. It had that surprise to it, you know? But like your records, I listened to them, I listened to it yesterday. I'm like, this shit is, like, this is the real deal. So you don't, you're not cynical about it, are you? About your own music?
1: Oh, it's cynical as far as, like, you know, I lament how it sucks and stuff. No, but, like, I mean,
0: you don't feel like you're beating a dead horse. You believe in it, right?
1: I mean, I absolutely do. And, like, I promise you that, like, you know, this is how I would please myself, you know? hmm That's the thing about rock and roll. Another good thing about it today, it being a dead art and everything, is that um, without, you know, like... Without the the giant potential reward there's less temptation to pander, you know. Yeah. Like I, you know, Good point. I don't have the option like I want to be in a rock and roll band like for sure. I definitely don't want to do electronic music. Mhm. Although I do have a desire to be a rapper, but You um, try to keep that to yourself or No, I mean I'm telling everybody. But <laughs> my but my point is like um, like I I know that I want to be in a rock and roll band. Yeah. And it doesn't make as much sense for me to say like well i want to be in a rock and roll band but you know if i'm in this sort of a rock and roll band i can have a much better life than if i'm in this sort of band you know that choice so, isn't really even there anymore no because yeah. if you're in a cheesy like a cheesy lame pandering band yeah like you're still pandering to a very small minority of the population yeah you know like you can't you can't do rock and roll and really pander to the lowest common denominator anymore because the lowest common denominator doesn't even know what rock and roll
0: is. And also the labels don't have the power they did to shove it down your head. No, like that. it will never
1: be. You're <laughs> yeah. never going to walk down the street <laughs> yeah. of your city and be assaulted with some, you know, yeah. rock and roll, like Chuck Berry derived yeah. song in the way that you're, you know, yeah. beat over the head with Justin Timberlake or whatever. Right. Not right. that I don't like him, which because I do. Seems like a talented guy. Sure. But like, we're gonna be bludgeoned with that stuff. We're not gonna be bludgeoned with the next, you know, regurgitation of rollover Beethoven or whatever. <laughs> so that stuff, you know, it's a pretty good. Why, start. like, why pander? Why be cheesier than you want to be? Like that, you're not gonna get that much more of a reward. You're still
0: gonna be a, you know, struggling in obscurity. How's your uh, when you do um, in terms of like obscurity? But I mean, you seem you seem to have a very loving following. Sometimes they love me, other times they hate me. Why do they hate me? Generally
1: you? I mean, generally they love the band. It's well, part of my ongoing problem with, you know, not understanding that like you know, the band is not me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kinda. Like saying I mean they do love us a lot, but you know, sometimes that relationship can can turn to hate. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, what you say is true. Like I'm much more interested in getting, you know, a hundred people together that really, really find this this thing to be important than a thousand people who are, you know, who are peripherally interested in right. it. Right. You know, Can take I, I want to be the most important thing in a hundred people's lives. I yeah. don't want to be on a you know the shelves of a thousand people with a thousand other cds you know
0: yeah well i heard the uh you know the first time i uh, heard the whole steady you know they had come out you know uh what is it boys and girls in america got some big attention and i didn't really know who they were and i listened to that record and i really liked it and i thought that guy was a, a pretty you know reasonable and forthright poetic poetic dude you oh, know yes. very earnest you know and the, and Quiet. the yeah and the music you know, i've interviewed him he's been in here craig and and he's my friend yeah he's a great guy but i saw them in uh south by southwest and it was interesting because you know he deals with very thoughtful very you know somewhat dark stuff sometimes and and his own sort of struggle with things, and then you just you, you see a, uh, I see them playing live in a tent, and you just see like there are these four frat dudes just like yeah, and, and hugging each other, and I'm like I guess that's okay, you know I don't I don't know that they're getting it the same way I'm getting it, but they seem to fucking dig it, so like I'm not gonna condescend them.
1: To me, you know, it's like um, you know, singing about something that is dark and you know is like a a painful part of yourself uh you know expressing that in the public forum need not be a dark and painful thing necessarily Mm -hmm. you know it's always painful to stir up those kind of emotions sort of but like when you put it out there like you put it on a stage as though to say i feel this way and that's all right yeah this is like a valid way to feel about the world or about you know being human I believe in this position, so I'm going to present it as loudly as I can. And, you know, people see it and they see the artist presenting these feelings that they recognize within themselves about the way that they look at life. And they are validated in this moment. And um, they look to their right or their left and see another person also feeling the joy of that validation. And in this moment, they're, like, not strangers anymore, but, like, long-lost family members, sort of. Not to, like, overly romanticize it, but, like, you know, you go through life and you're, you know, born into whatever population you're born into, and, you know, the people around you have the interests and the values that they do, and they might not necessarily be aligned with yours, and they might, you know, they might prefer to make you think that the way that you feel about life is wrong in some way but like when you see somebody on this on stage saying i feel this way and clearly i am a strong cool person and like i validate your feeling about x y or z and like then you're next to the other person who feels this way and you know it's not the person who lives next door and thinks that you're the biggest jerk in the world it's another person who lives next door to some other jerk (laughs) and you stand <laughs> and like you guys found each other like you might not live next door to each other yeah, yeah. but the artist you know put out a vibe Right, you were attracted to it and yeah. so was this other person right. you and this other person have got something in common Right, you're not the lost tribe of Israel anymore you're together in one place you're family again and you both know that you live next door to jerks I think that's an important thing and and even though it's about something that's painful it's a joyful thing to say that like we feel this way and yet we are determined to survive
0: well i think that that, like right there the determination to survive in the face of darkness and the way you put together songs is that you know however you know your lyrics sort of carry this uh you know somewhat kind of uh personally or existentially bleak tone uh, in what you're confronting, you you got a real good fucking sense of build, man. I mean, those, those fucking songs build, and there's like, it, it's an, you know, it, it, the underpinnings of the song are this anthemic fucking movement. It's like, it's all right, man. <coughs> We're gonna fucking plow through this shit. We will
1: plow through this
0: shit. And yeah. it
1: might not always be so fun. <laughs> But like you know, we will do it together to a certain extent. What choice do we have? We because the it, other, we our only other choice is to lay down and die. Exactly, exactly, and that might and that might be the smarter thing to do. But we, you know, we can't really know that for
0: sure. Yeah, we're kind of innately so, yeah. wired not to do that. Yeah, as certain biological imperatives yeah. to
1: continue to survive and, and cover the earth.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You Not that th- we need
1: to do that anymore. It'd be a great move to retreat from that for a while, but I know it's a hard sell though.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're supposed to slow this shit down. Yeah. she whiz. But you know, the thing about that biological incentive to survive, it, you know, that that's there unspoken. It, it's sorta of, it's sorta of interesting because as you know, as self pitying or as dark as I've gotten or any artist has gotten you you know it takes a a strange act of uh you know cowardice and courage to just fucking you know fight against that and fucking lay down or end it to be or not to be right on man back to hamlet it all comes back to hamlet in the end yeah modern modern man not man yeah human yeah well what what is this hate that you talk about what's the struggle that you have with the audience in general, I mean, if you can sort of... Uh, oh, jeez. I mean, I don't mean to make it out like I hate the audience. No, 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 but you said they hate you. You didn't actually say... They've just
1: yeah. been... As we've been in California, they've been giving me a little bit of trouble. They're very aggressive is the thing, you know? In, in what form? Are these guys usually? Bros, or, yeah, yeah, they're bros. Yeah. They're meatheads, yeah. you know? And, like, we... You know, it's punk rock, right? Yeah. So it's an aggressive idiom, sort mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's about absolute freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Like, punk is a very appealing thing to, like, a lot of different sorts of dickheads. Yeah. <laughs> because it, ina- it allows them, it enables them and empowers them to do absolutely whatever they want. Right. You know, and one interpretation of the ideology says that you just do anything that you want and there are no real consequences. I don't think that that's a very practical
0: application of the ideology, and I think it's a bit of a <laughs> perversion of yeah. it. Right. And also, it's, it's a it, lie. That's a lie. I mean, you can um, think that, but I mean, you know, there are going to be consequences. Maybe there not will. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know,
1: you have, you know, the the world is sort of a void. Mm-hmm. It's a, of it's you know, mm-hmm. it's an abyss. There mm-hmm. is no like real morality or anything. But at the same time, like our actions don't really happen in a vacuum. And the fact of the matter is, if you really want absolute freedom for yourself, the way to go about getting it is to create opportunities for freedom for others you know like if everybody in the world did their part to respect other people's you know personal and emotional and cerebral space then then people would find that they themselves had all the this space and the freedom to do basically whatever they wanted within reason you know but like you know one application of this of this kind of You know, this way of thinking is that, you know, you get together with a bunch of other meatheads and you just, you know, pummel each other until you don't feel anything anymore. And like, I see the value in that, I guess. And I used to be into it as a kid, but like, I see it now and like, I try to be vulnerable. I'm trying to like, you know, be vulnerable up there. Like I'm screaming and stuff, but it's not like, you know, and I'm often yelling at like you, Mm -hmm. you know, but like... I'm not really yelling at you, you know, I'm yelling into the void and I'm, you know, I want to invite you to be involved in that, you mm-hmm. know,
0: but like. Sometimes that's interpreted just, as a yeah. provocation to just unleash.
1: Mm. It's like the whole thing about, you know, having all this freedom like you know the price of freedom should be you know greater compassion and mercy mm-hmm. like you do sort of have the right to do whatever you want in a in a real way as far as i'm concerned you know an ideological way we're supposed to have you know total freedom like that's not like a real that's not really practical but like what sort of depends what you, you do it do it, if right. you have it like part of of deserving it is saying I have the freedom to do this thing, yeah, and get in somebody's face and and mess their day up a little bit. But I will waive my rights, but in in an effort to make a more loving and compassionate world. So that's a personal morality. A that's respect. right. Yeah, you know your morality should come from, you know, within, and you should you know think about the things that you want from the world around you and you should be trying to give those things more than you go out and try and take them sure there's some bad seeds though that's why there are rules i guess yeah i mean that's what sucks about (laughs) it though is like certain people like created a necessity for there to be all these rules and like without these rules those people are going to go buck wild it just sucks that like the people you know there are people for whom the rule was not invented that are beholden to the rule in its like most stupid, you know, illogical extension, right? Like, right. F- like for instance, you know, I live in New York City, right? And I often eat on the subway, even though it is against the rules. Yeah. And the reason I permit myself to do this is because I know that I'm not the person for whom that rule was invented. You know, right. there are people out there who if you let them eat on the subway, <laughs> they're going to bring, you know... A whole, like... A, a whole, Yeah, like a whole <laughs> thing and then leave it there. Yeah. You know, and there's gonna be all this waste. I'm not yeah. that sort of person. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I have, you know, waste, I will take it and I'll put it in the proper receptacle. That's because so you have a personal the, morality about it. That's and right. And I want to live in a world that's just not full of garbage. You know, people think that, like, they're entitled to a garbage-free world and yet they throw their garbage on the
0: ground. So when you grew up doing... So you were a punk kid...
1: I became a punk at, you know, I guess, around the same time I got the guitar. Yeah. But really, in truth, I became a punk in um, 1994 when my sister brought home Dookie by Green Day. Yeah. And began a war with my father yeah that i would have loved to be the one fighting you understand but i yeah. was too young and scared how old were you my father's a wonderful man okay yeah. like don't get the wrong idea but parents you know yeah. like your sure. you, your parents are ultimately like your your greatest enemy you gotta as push back you, you gotta push them, back yeah, they are the the quintessential villains of yeah. your life in yeah. a real way as much as you do love them yeah you have to you have to conquer them yeah at a certain how'd point how'd that go I mean I'm working on it still. I'm almost there. Yeah. <laughs> they're still in, in my head, you know. Yeah, is sure the thing. Like well, they're they're Catholic brainwashing.
0: Yeah, well what was the war at that time? What how old were you in ninety four? I guess I was nine years old. That's when you got dookie? My sister did. Yeah.
1: And I didn't I didn't listen to it, you know. Like I didn't I didn't understand that like this was punk rock and that it was like punk rock because it had these elements or whatever. Right. All I knew was that, like, my sister got this CD, and, you know, one day she was, like, a normal girl, and the next day she had green hair. And my my father was pissed, you know. He he didn't want a daughter. He didn't want to be known as the father of the green-haired girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe that's his right. Maybe he earned the right to not want that, but, like, that was appealing to me because, like, you know. (laughs) It it pissed him off. It was my sister's way of saying, like, I choose not to play this absurd game that you have forced me into by virtue of raising me in this community. I reject the standards of our little planned community, our little facsimile of real life yeah. that we call a town. I reject that stuff. I believe in a, a life of green hair now. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and like
0: So you that know, she the- stood
1: she stood up to everything like yeah. every, you know all this stuff that I thought just dominated the planet like yeah. it might she might as well have been like fighting god as yeah. far as i was concerned like when you're nine years old like your parents their authority is like totally absolute but my sister found a cd that gave her the strength to take them on like she yeah. didn't win but she went the distance you know she was like the rocky balboa <laughs> of our house that year yeah, with green hair with green hair yeah yeah, yeah you know and there's and, yeah. that, and that had a big impact man huge impact and i there's a picture that i look at a lot now which is um my sister with the green hair i guess this is the actually the summer of 1995 mm-hmm. um and my sister's got green hair and my brother is in his uniform as a freshman at the the naval academy mm-hmm. and me i'm like some kind of smiling like like mongoloid <laughs> In like some kind of like extra <laughs> extra large T shirt, yeah, <laughs> like four feet tall. Like,
0: That's like the yin and tells, the yang. Tells man. the whole story, <laughs> yeah, really, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So your brother bought the, uh, drank the Kool Aid. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not I
1: love enough. him. I love him to death. You know, he, you know, and he's, you know, supported me more than anybody in my whole life you know i wish that there was no such thing as the military you know i'd love to live in a oh yeah. yeah well actually you know he like you know much to his credit you know like he uh he slugged it out and he gave them everything that they wanted for many years and now they're just you know they're just paying him to get a really you know fancy degree from from quite a prestigious school that's good so and he's got you know we're very, very proud of him, you know. Even though I don't like the military, you know, he's made a very, very nice life for his wife and his three beautiful kids. And, you know... That's nice. But obviously I wish there was no such thing as war. I wish there was no Navy and no Army and no anything and no guns and no bombs. And Sure. That would be my preference, but that's not... Uh, it's not real life, sure. and I guess at the end of the day, if somebody has to control a gun or a bomb, I'm glad that it's my brother. So what? Did, so how far did you push your old man? How far did I push him? Yeah. I mean, I I never took him on as as hard as my sister did. Yeah. You know, to my eternal regret. Mm. And again, I love him to death. You know. Sure. But um, you know, you know, and they, and they and my parents have supported me very very much in my artistic career. You know. And they think that it's great and you know, there were times when I was like gonna, you know, get on the path to have a life, you know, a lot more like their life. And, you know, I wanted to make a choice
0: to, you know What were your thoughts then? I mean what like what 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 was the other road that you didn't take? Well, I I wanted to be an educator like mm-hmm. my parents were, right? mm-hmm.
1: you know. And uh And I think it's very noble to work with the kids, you know? Yeah. I see now that, like, my dream of being an educator was just me trying to like fit myself into the 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 paradigm or the model of life that my parents had laid out for me i was just trying to become a redundant of my parents Mm -hmm. because i thought that that was like i thought if i had all that stuff like if i can get like you know this fancy degree and this nice job and get you know tenure or whatever and then i can you know fool some girl into marrying me put a couple kids in her and like at the end of that whole process like i'll have one, you know what I mean. You I'll write have, a book. One at life, mm-hmm. yeah. but you know, I see now that there's lots of different ways to win at life. Are you winning? I mean, I get to sort of do what I want. Like I kind of have the life that I want. You know, I you know the most important thing in my life is my art, and it gets me. You know, my art provides me with enough to eat. You know, my yeah. art. My art keeps a shirt on my back. You know, like, I don't have a lot of other stuff. You know, back home I live in a 100-square-foot 100, 100 windowless room. Where? With, in the East Williamsburg Industrial Park in Brooklyn, New York. Why are you living like that? Because it's all that I can afford. Mm. And, I, you know, I mean, I could live like a king in some other city, but, you know, New York City is just kind of the move when you're an ambitious young man like me, when you're desperate to prove that you're the best in the world. The best... And, uh what the best whatever people from move to new york city to prove that they're the best cook or the best librarian right. or the best you know you know tour guide or the best bus driver or the best anything you know you go there because you feel like you deserve a couple minutes on the on the big stage and that's how i feel about m- myself and and this goofy rock and roll project
0: and how how are you at uh, being a band leader how's a how you how are you at holding the band together Oh, my God! They make their lives very, very
1: difficult. <laughs> you know it's a tough thing because, like on the one hand, you wanna be you know you wanna be professional and you wanna do things by the book and you wanna get places on time, and you wanna like you know play all your best songs like just about as well as you can every yeah. night and all that stuff um but like ultimately, you know that's just not really what it's about for me, and you know like. We're pursuing some sort of different thing beyond that, and that's like it's a it's an amorphous concept. What of, is
0: it? Ex- what is, what
1: are some of the elements of it? Some of the elements of it are 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 freedom, and in a moment or forever, you create freedom in a moment because you're informed of a, of a possible sustainable freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you you try to be free in the moment as to glimpse a, a freer world, yeah. however temporarily, you know? Yeah. But it's all about, like, you know, it's all about, uh you know, falling as you fail to fly, you know? Yeah. It's all about, you know... um trying to do something that is sort of beyond your means yeah and and often you reach for it and fall short like you know we do on stage almost every night but the whole point is that you're informed of something beyond yourself and you're making an effort to say you know I've been born with certain abilities resources whatever but that doesn't dictate what I want out of life or what I want out of myself I've got bigger dreams than you know the stuff that I can see around me, and even if I don't know how to achieve it, I will make the effort to achieve
0: it but but they're not but they're not necessarily clear, so it's it's actually the the compulsion to keep pushing further and that it's it's, it's you're never going to arrive you know? right right sure and
1: that but that's the whole point of it that's the nobility of it, you know like you have, you have a certain guarantee of failure kind of. But yeah, doing doing it. something in the face of that makes it a more worthwhile right. pursuit to my mind. It's a you fight. Know? It's a fight. It is the fight and it is saying, you know, I want I just want more. Yeah. That was my first word that I ever learned how to say. It was more. <laughs> and I always <laughs> wanted more and I still want more. Like I don't know what more looks like, but I know that I want it. I know that I'm dissatisfied with the life that I've got. And I feel like there's a better life out there somewhere, and I don't know how to achieve it, but I am doing the work of achieving what version of it I can. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. This is how you reach the sublime, you know? Like people see us, and we get up on stage and we play sixteen songs, and fifteen of them suck, right? No, I mean that—that's, that, I mean, that's not really true. That's how it's it was in like two thousand nine. Being and, a little hard on previous, yourself, right? You know gotta get a little hard on some way, right?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But I mean, if you get on if you play 16 songs and 15 of them are bad and then one of them's good, yeah. You know, then that one good song isn't just a good song, it's like a miracle. Yeah. You understand? It's like
0: uh oh yeah, dude, it's like It they happened.
1: happened. Yeah. They did it like yeah. You know yeah. the the tension of like you know like the sex pistols did this and the replacements and you know the Stooges and stuff yeah. like they were humans, you yeah. know, they weren't like Led Zeppelin where like you you know they get on stage, and it's basically you know like failure proof situation, yeah. it's gods coming down from Mount Olympus to strut their stuff and like and and fuck with the uh the mortals, you yeah, know? yeah, but Iggy Pop wasn't like that, he was you know a mortal trying to climb. The mountain. Yeah, and maybe yeah. he never got to the top, but he tried. Yeah. yeah. You know, and like <laughs> nobody gets to the top of the mountain, okay? Not really.
0: Why? And, because that one's like, there to kick you down?
1: <laughs> basically, yeah. Like they they've, they've consolidated all the power up yeah, on the top. It's yeah. a fixed game, you know? Yeah. But like it's better to, you know, be a person trying to climb the mountain and failing than a person, you know, living some kind of neutered and, you know, and, well, they and were, self-pitying life at the at the
0: bottom of the mountain. Right. Well, know? they were somehow or another, those guys were ordained. You know, you know, whatever the you know the music business did at whatever time, the selections were made, you know, the hits were pounded into people's heads, and the mythology was established, right? Yeah. So I like the way you characterize that though. You know, because like you talk about the replacements, you talk about Iggy, you talk about the sex pistols, because it's hard to really, you know, he sat there where you were sitting. You know with no shirt on (laughs) and you you know it's like i have always had this really strong sort of like confused kind of like respect and you know inability to kind of figure out what made him so fucking authentic and it's just that is that his humanness is the first thing you you feel that's right yeah and the same with Paul. He and those smacks guys.
1: it in your face with his with his you know his emaciated frame, and his which weird makes him movements. quite a quite a very big hero of mine. That frame of his. Oh yeah, I man. think about Iggy Pop every time I lift up an amplifier. It's <laughs> so just, what, you think Iggy could do this easier? <laughs> I mean, not. I mean, I just I lift up the amplifier and say I'm one amplifier lift closer to having the body of Iggy Pop and being the weird. <laughs> Friggin' like creepy <laughs> sex symbol that he yeah, was, right? Because that's the thing about rock and roll like, it's the only idiom where a guy that looks like him or that looks like me, yeah, can be you know put up as an object of sexual desire. That like wouldn't work in like baseball, <laughs> yeah, or something, yeah. Not that like that's why I'm, yeah. I'm at it to be to you know to exploit my sexuality but that's it's just another example of how punk and rock and roll is just a great the great validator
0: so you think that like the the idea this uh, this humanness that you're talking about the difference between the 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 Mount Olympian gods and and the struggle of the humans is just that the vulnerability that that naturally happens from willingness to fail and to keep pushing
1: yeah you know and it's saying like you know I'm trying I'm trying. Yeah. I may not succeed. Yeah. And that's not the point. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to succeed. Nobody gets everything that they want. I mean, certain people do. And as you say, they're ordained and yeah. they're, they're pre-selected yeah. to lead this, you know, to be ushered into, you know, the ruling class. For those of us that don't have that kind of golden ticket for whatever reason, you know, it's more about saying we don't, we reject the notion that this game is anything to be won you know the rules are perverted and gross and anybody that would be a winner at this game is the ultimate loser Mm -hmm. you know Nietzsche called this slave morality Mm -hmm. you know the slaves saw that they were never going to have the life and the you know the luxurious life of the masters so they invented a morality that would put them on the high ground
0: You know, Mm -hmm. in much the
1: same way that we do when we compare ourselves to whoever's on the radio now. You know, sure,
0: but it's like there's uh, a a sort of uh, self-righteous bitterness.
1: I mean, bitterness, sort of like it's it's skeptical and critical of the the status quo, right? Or maybe not even like it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't even have to necessarily say that the status quo is bad as much as you know I went through the thought process you know I did the work of determining whether or not the status quo was relevant to my personal set of values right. you know if someone really takes the time to look within themselves and they find out that really at the end of the day what makes them happy is putting on a shirt and tie and commuting to some you know what seems to me crap job you know like if that's ultimately what really is going to satisfy their authentic self like that's every bit you know as you know on a fundamental level that's as punk a decision as deciding to you know not Not be a green haired freak right you know it's just about i've you know i have a dialogue with myself i don't just take what is you know pushed on me as an absolute truth and accept it i don't have blind faith in anything you know yeah yeah i have i have i
0: i think about these things you know. Well, what do you do? Do you, uh, do, you do you have uh, any uh, sort of peace of mind ever, or any uh, you know moments of joy other than the, the release of of being in the moment on stage? Do you like you know? Do you eat things that make you happy? Oh God! Don't talk to me about food. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, sure. I'm, I have
1: moments of incredible joy. The fact of the matter is, like, it's, you just make the decision to be an open hearted person in general. You know, it's not like, you know. You decide to be open hearted and you say, I will be sensitive and I will, you know, I will accept all these, these, these stimuli of life and I will, you know, allow my emotions to be triggered, you know, accordingly. And when you do that, you open yourself up to very great pain, you know, and people can hurt you very, very badly if you make yourself vulnerable before them, you know. And easily. Like that. yeah. But at the same time, that open heartedness will also allow you to have the greatest joys in life, and you know, feel the most love and the most, you know, you know, real transcendent happiness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, you have to accept that it comes. You can't price. let in yeah. just the good stuff and then be yeah. vulnerable to the bad stuff. You right. 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 If right. you want to really, really love the world, you have to accept the things about the world that you hate you know not accept them like you know oh that's just the way it is and it's fine but you say like you don't shut yourself off to those experiences because in so doing you're going to also shut yourself off to the uh all the wonderful things in life. So, you know, yes, I'm able to be very, very, you know, hurt, psychologically damaged by, you know, certain things that other people would just shrug off. Right. But I think that that gives me a greater ability to, you know, stop and smell the roses sometimes, you know.
0: What are those roses generally for you? You like art for real? I mean, do you know? Art, you you mean like paintings and stuff? I mean,
1: not really. I don't like go out of my way to do that, to look at. What do you go out of your way to do?
0: I, like to I go out in. of
1: my way to to love people. Yeah. You know, I go out of my way to, you know, to be involved in, in the work that I feel mm-hmm. is valuable. You know, most of my free time goes to the, um, the venue back in New York City that we all work at, which is called Shea Stadium. And, you know, we're in the East Williamsburg Industrial Park where I also live. Shea and, Stadium. And Shea Stadium, that's right. Some friends of mine... Some guys from this great band, the So So Glows, and the lead guitar player of Titus Andronicus, this fellow named Adam Riche, bonded as kids over the Mets. Their fathers had season tickets to the Mets. Their fathers were good friends, and they um, had season tickets at the original Shea Stadium. You know yeah. where the Beatles played and where the Mets played for all those years. And then years later, after Shea Stadium was closed, they started this venue, and. Um, and named it Shea Stadium in, in Brooklyn. Atlanta, in Brooklyn, yeah, not Queens, where the original Shea Stadium was. But like, I go there and I work there, and and I and I try to help do the work to create, you know, artistic opportunities for people. And um, and that's you know mostly you know what gives me satisfaction as far as and besides like you know spending time with my friends and my special lady and you know you know the people that I care about yeah
0: yeah so uh, can we talk about the records for a minute yeah sure because uh, these seem to be well the monitor in specific uh, specifically seems to be you know a fully realized concept record is it was it fully realized I don't know about that when I listened to it as much as I can and and put and try to put it together it seemed like there was a a sort of story and an arc there. What was the uh, what was the inspiration when the quotes were from from Lincoln and and who else did you have your drama teacher read?
1: Uh well he he read only from Lincoln, but other people read uh, from William Lloyd Garrison and Jefferson Davis and um Walt Whitman. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um but yeah i mean what you're saying is true there was a concept there was an overarching theme and a and a, a vague narrative what was it the narrative was you know the story of something that happened to me which was that i got out of college and i moved to um somerville massachusetts oh shit i lived there you live there in davis square oh yeah i used to live off uh, inman square yeah yeah so anyway um I went there to start a new life, and, uh, you know, like my first attempt at like an adult life, mm-hmm. and yeah. it just didn't work out how I thought it would, because of, you know, my relationship with, you know, the the people who I was, you know, had relationships with at the time, and because of, you know, my ongoing relationship with, with the wider society, you know. So you had a, a meltdown, or? I don't know if I'd call it a meltdown exactly, yeah. but you know, you know, you hit the wall. If you if you want a you know if you're interested in hearing a record about a real nervous breakdown, we're making a a, a pretty serious one right now.
0: Yeah. Uh huh. Did you have one?
1: Oh yes. Yeah. Hmm. Well, how long ago? Two years ago, I guess it yeah. started. How did it manifest itself? Um. What was the arc? The arc of it was that, you know, um you know, I lived a certain way throughout my entire life and kinda of just had it, you know, the vaguest of feelings that I was just like a weird freak, you know. Yeah. And I knew that I was a freak in some way and some kind, and somehow other from society I didn't really understand how. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, um, but I knew that like it was, it was, had made trouble for me and would continue to make trouble for me throughout my life. And, you know, when I got to be about 26 years old, I started to, I came to understand, you know, that, you know, that I was a manic depressive. Mm -hmm. And the way that I did that was, you know, I had just learned about You know, the condition from being, you know, very close to people who had it throughout my life, which should have been a huge clue that, like, all the people that I was closest to had this particular... Your family, too? I mean, they're, you know, it's kind of a a skeleton in my family's closet. I think I might be the first one... To come out? To come out of the closet... Um even though you know i could I could point to a lot of my relatives and mm-hmm. and tell you you know why the various choices that they made reflect this, but like you know they're all dead now, and yeah you know, there's no real way to prove it, but like more so looking at just the history of my own life and you know and the people that I was close to, and you know i I entered into a phase you know where it just became too clear to ignore, you know. And um, I was like, "Oh shoot!" You know, I've been really depressed. You know, I always knew that I was depressed, and I've been on antidepressants for many years at that point. Mm-hmm. But I was like, "Gee, this is wild!" Because like last week, I was like the saddest, mopeiest guy in the world, and now I, you know, I'm I stay up all night every night, and I never stop talking. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a little strange? that I you, just so recently i was this way and now i'm this way and it became to be like too much to ignore and then it kind of like i was like okay well so i'm a manic depressive this is like gonna be a hell of a ride let's do it mm-hmm. you know and i just kind of like went through and i just made you know every kind of decision in mania in at, yeah at the height of my mania and i you know ripped a I ripped my entire life apart, you know, and every institution in my life, I did everything that I could to destroy, and several of them I destroyed irreparably, and I could look back on it now as saying that, you know, it was my mania that gave me the strength to, you know, to destroy these walls I had built up around myself um, and get myself out of situations that were toxic to me when in my depression I would be too chicken shit to do the work of it and endure the trauma of you know dismantling your life in that way Mm -hmm. and to look back on it now like you know I could have done things a lot differently and a lot of people would have been a lot happier including and especially myself but anyway the point is that it was like a you know kind of a game to me at that point and I just was invulnerable and like everything that I was doing seemed to be brilliant to me and then you know, like people were trying to warn me, like if you really think that this is, you know, what you're going through, like there's gonna be, you know, you're gonna pay for this at some point. And I was like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Did you feel free? Ain't so I, yeah, I felt like I, I felt like <laughs> yeah. I could fly, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But like they were right, and yeah. then you know. um, you know, in, like, March of last year, I I, I hit the wall for real. And I basically, you know, didn't get out of bed until, you know, December. Mm. And even when I was able to do that, like, I got out of bed, but, like, I could barely talk, you know? Yeah. And, you know, in the trauma of going through this and, like, in the in the terror of, like, not knowing what's going on in your brain, like, I listened to a lot of the wrong people and I took, you know, a lot of you know, treatment for it that I come to see now is like a, a very big mistake. Did they fuck you up? Very, very badly. They you couldn't know? figure and out they, how to medicate you or what? No, I mean, they could figure it out. And, like, they, you know, the goal of these doctors when dealing with a manic depressive person is, like, they feel like, you know, this person is potentially dangerous. So we got to find the part of their brain that makes them dangerous and turn it off. And they they did it, you know. They turned that part of my brain off. With what? In a big way. With with drugs. Which ones? With uh, clonazepam and Abilify and um, jeez, what the hell was the other one?
0: Did you do electroshock?
1: Oh, uh, ibupro no, Ibuprofen, Buproprin, Buproprin, or something. Yeah. I never did ele- no. I never got zapped. I yeah. mean, I've been electrocuted before, but by accident. Yeah. Yeah. But no, they didn't electrocute me like they did to try and cure the the homosexuality of the teenage Lou Reed. Yeah. But, like... But they put you through it. Again, they... They they did, you know, and I asked for it. Like, it's you know, I was the decider ultimately, but, like, I was so desperate for any kind of solution. And they told me that they had one. Yeah. What they didn't tell me was that when they turn off the part of your brain that makes you this dangerous person, they turn off everything else about you that makes you who you are you know they they take your your sexuality away from you they take away your ability to generate abstractions yeah like the you know you know the depression that I went through last year was like the worst thing that I ever experienced by far you know Uh and the thing that was really terrifying about it was not that like I looked into the future and And felt like an unspeakable dread because i had felt that dread my entire life but i could i I lacked i felt the dread but i lacked the ability to articulate it yeah yeah you know i couldn't i couldn't like so you couldn't
0: relieve yourself at all
1: no like when i was younger and you know i would get depressed i was still able to like make my art and stuff yeah and like i could write a little poem and i could get you know you know a little bit of the of the bad stuff out you know yeah. purge myself a little bit yeah, yeah but like in 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 taking away the part of me that made all those problems for everybody when i was a maniac you know they like um they 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 killed the poet in me you know they yeah. they, they 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 took away you know yeah my ability to make the unique connections that i can make and that's yeah. not like you know i'm not like saying like I have, like, this one-in-a-billion brain or anything, but, like, people have got, you know, a, a neural network. Like, they have stored all this information, and they make connections between it, and my brain was just, like, you know, the dustiest old library you know that like you couldn't maybe yeah, there's yeah. all this information in there but it's all in a big pile and it's all under a, a foot of dust and it's useless
0: yeah I mean I I, I I hear you I mean I grew up with it my my old man's bipolar and I you know I just recently got a psyche valve and they want to put me on meds I don't know what the fuck to do I mean it's tough like and they do help a lot of people you know so you're off everything No,
1: I didn't say that. Uh, (laughs) But I'm off the white man's drugs. Yeah. I'm off off drugs that came out of a a fucking laboratory. Yeah. I'm off drugs that, you know, that they, like, they give you these drugs. Like, they don't even know what they do. Right. They made these drugs last
0: year. Right. They're just trying them out. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, you're a guinea pig. Yeah, that's right. In the hope
1: that, like, you know, as, you know, maybe they'll fuck up your life, but in so doing, they'll learn a little
0: something and, like.
1: So I choose not to throw my body upon those gears, you know.
0: I hear you. Or my brain, rather. Yeah, yeah. So, if you were, were you able to sort of uh, repair uh, uh, some of the damage that you caused in the in the break? I think so, you know. Yeah,
1: and you know, and it was like, it was, um, it was a little dicey, you know, because like I've been, you know, you know, this year I w- I went back to being quite a maniac, and you know, again was alienating a lot of people. And only recently I've begun, you know, to, like, make the transition to the next season, you know. And in anticipating that, like, I felt, you know, this horrible terror that, like, I was going to, you know... When I hit the wall, like, that my brain would just be erased, you know. And all of yeah. these plans I made and all these promises I made, all these dreams that I nurtured would just be totally inaccessible to me, you know. But, um... If you went back on the meds. No, I mean, just, like... When I, just in the natural seasons of oh, my mind. Oh, so when you get mind, depressed, right, Yeah, right. like I, I thought, you know, the depression will come again. In a race. And, you know, and then it's going to be over. So, like, it filled me with a, a terrible urgency. And this summer I wrote, like, 15 songs. And this is the new record? Yeah. And in 2012 I wrote Zero, you know? Right. And people try to tell me that that's bad. And maybe it is, you know? Like, I think about Daniel Johnston a lot, you know, and how, like, you know... The person that he used to be and like how he is now. Like, I don't really know like what it's like to, you know, be part of his life. But, you know, it can see... Like any of these like older mentally ill rockers, you know. Yeah. You they this the story about them is like, oh, they're doing so much better. Yeah, but they you know, but they're like not, like they can barely
0: stand up. Yeah, they're you just know? wandering like, around, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, and I don't and I don't want to condescend
0: anybody at all. You well know? no, but you're just talking about the choice, but you know. Yeah, yeah, but the
1: fact of the matter is, yeah. You know, and like Daniel Johnson, like if you saw that movie about him yeah, and I stuff, did. you know that he like yeah. tried to like kill his family and stuff. And like right. at the end of the day, you can't do that. Right. But, like, it makes me really sad that, like, you know, they were able to get rid of the part of him that had the desire to kill his family. And I'm not saying, you know, kill your family by any means, but, you know, in some weird, you know, kind of tragic way, it was the the same thing that drove him to want to kill his family was the same thing that drove him to create all that beautiful... And very useful to lots of people. Yeah, music. It's a it's a tough negotiation, man. It is. And how would you say to Daniel Johnston's father, you know, who he tried to, you know, murder, like it would be better if you would just leave him to his own devices and let him continue to be the artist that we love him for being. Just keep
0: your doors locked, man. Yeah, like you can't ask (laughs) that of somebody.
1: It's tough because like people, you know, are artists and like you know they're able to create art under certain conditions and like you get the art and as far as you're concerned like that's the end of the story but it's not yeah like that artist is not you know in some monastery somewhere like that artist has got people in their lives that that get hurt yeah you know and like daniel Johnston's parents or like any of these people or even the people in my life you know like they it's it's or like you know, how you can't ask those people like ruin your whole life, like sacrifice everything to help and this just, kid yeah, create. just lay down <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. road so that this person can walk all over you so that the world can enjoy their art. <laughs> you can't ask that of <laughs> no, somebody. You can't. Not for Dana Johnson, not for Neil Young. Yeah. Like not for anybody and definitely not
0: for me. So that was well, so when's that album coming out. November 2014. That's great, man. So, all right, let's go back to the monitor. So, do you track this as uh, your experience in Somerville as being part of this cycle? Oh, geez. I mean, I certainly didn't think about
1: it that way, but, like, I can look back on my life now and, and plug any of it into All right, well, this let's, uh, well let's
0: isolate it then. So, I, I just want to know uh, for, for my own uh, enjoyment uh, to, you know, when I go back to the record. All it was was, you know, um,
1: I got into watching the movie The Civil War by yeah. Ken Burns. You yeah. know, it was on YouTube. The YouTube user that put it up had an avatar of a Confederate flag for whatever that's worth. Yeah. But, you know, you know, the girl I was living with at the time, she would go to bed and I would stay up and I would be watching, you know, this movie. Yeah. And like being like so amazed. Yeah. And like have my, you know, my mind blown again like yeah, I'm yeah. always looking for as yeah. you as you observed. And um it just got me thinking a lot about, you know, you know the the divided house right you know yeah. about like these these seemingly like cohesive units right or like they think these they present this unified front and yet like un, under the surface like it's not so unified you know whether that's like this country like, we say, you know, United We Stand and stuff, and yet we hate, we all hate each other. Yeah. You know, and, like, everybody would love to, you know, choke out another American because they, you know, root for the wrong football team or something. You right. Know? And, like, even, like, the people that you love the most, like, you know, me and this girl, you know, like, we were supposedly, you know, so in love, and yet we always were going at it. And, you know, like... We know that, like, working together is going to get us more of what we want, and yet we can't bring ourselves to stop fighting all the time. Yeah. And it was just kind of an exploration of sort of the um, the inherent need to fight. And I found out after the fact that, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche observed this about the world and commented that the world was nothing more than a system of forces in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. Everything with a, a certain will to power and you know these things bounce around the universe and they create you know the universe the universe is a series of causes and effects mm-hmm. yeah.
0: so that was what that that was the root of it ultimately yeah. it's a good record man and i and i and local business is great and uh and you know i'm looking forward to this one and i'm glad you're uh, at least more self-aware of uh of your struggle
1: that's all that it is, you know. I'm I'm just searching for my authentic self.
0: Yeah, I hear and you. And I
1: feel that I will be better able to achieve this if I'm more open about the process, you know. And I let everybody know, like, I'm on this path, you know, and I'm not sure where I'm going necessarily, but if you would like to walk it with me, even for just, like, an hour at a time, like, spinning the CD or whatever, or, you know, a couple hours out in the town at the concert, you know, like, we can forget about the other stuff for a little while and we can think about this stuff. Or, you know, not think about anything. All right, man. Can I go to the show tomorrow? Almost oh, certainly you can. That's and right. you're going to have a great treat when you see the great band Lost Boy. All right. Lo-Fi High on Twitter. Thanks for talking to me, man. Thanks for listening.
0: Intense Dude. That's what you got there. That that Stickles fella is an intense dude. So, uh, all right, that's the show. I got to go to bed, man. I got to tape tomorrow. I got to shoot tomorrow. It's it's interesting when you're shooting. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTFPod needs. Get that free up, up, upgrade to premium. Get me and uh, Brendan McDonald talking shop a bit. Do what you want. Get some merch. Check things out. But it's weird when you, get, when you work hard and you work your fucking ass off and you're in the middle of it and it ain't over yet and it's not going to be over for a while it's it's weird this thing that comes over you you just feel this part of your heart that is like you know six years old that you're just like I don't want to do it anymore I don't want to I don't want to and then the grown up is like just just shut up alright quit whining you know we're going to be done in a couple weeks this is what you worked for just fucking lock down, focus, and do the best you can. But I don't, you know, it's not going to, shut up. Shut up. I know you're tired. Yeah, I know this is hard, but life is hard. But can't we? No, we can't. In two weeks, we can. We can do whatever it is that you were going to finish that sentence with. All right? All right? Yeah, I guess, but can I, no, you can't. You, just, you know what? Just just sit down and shut up and let the grown-up you know, run this one. All right? I'm just going to need to borrow your state of mind occasionally to tap into something pure. I don't even understand that. Of course you don't understand that because you're six, but I can appreciate it now. Maybe you'll be able to appreciate it eventually. But this whining thing, Jesus Christ, that's got to go. Yeah, Mark, but it really hasn't gone. Who's, who's that talking now? You know who this is. Boomer lives. Boomer lives.